Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So in this episode, I am talking with Catherine Pitts. Catherine is the Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer at Integrated Care 24 that provides services up and down the UK ranging from 111 out of hours and supporting health and justice. So this podcast, in my mere opinion, is a really practical approach to developing and creating integrated care. Catherine gives us her definition of what she thinks integrated care looks like at a system level and also for the patient. She talks about the importance of pulling on your partners and coming together to translate the guidance coming out from NHS England regarding integrated care, which, you know, to help share the load, which I think is really, really important. We talk about the importance of communications and the impact of what happens when it goes wrong. And we also talk about making the time to translate new terminology, new terms, new strategies to every layer in your organisation. And off air, she talked about how she does WebExes and internal webinars to support her team with this and communicate that down to everybody in the organisation. I really hope that you are able to get the practical elements and pieces of advice that support you in your organisations to have those system conversations and start to take a deeper look at your patient population and those sections of the population where more care and more attention could be provided. I absolutely love this interview. So I'm going to stop talking, enjoy, share it, and I'll see you in the next episode. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well. And thank you so much for inviting me. I think this is a really exciting topic so, yeah. to kind of discuss and explore together. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Before we get started, I was just saying that way back when I applied for a job with IC24 <laughs> and I didn't get it. <laughs> Tara. <laughs> um, could you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Yeah, of course. So as you introduced me, I'm Catherine. I'm a nurse by background, actually, and I've been working at IC24 for a number of years now, since 2012. But previously to that, I'm a nurse by background. Uh, So I did start my career in the NHS uh, many years ago as I qualified as a nurse. And I think 
my career has really kind of developed in the NHS and how we kind of can look at innovation and things like that. So my career has really followed that path about what sort of services I've worked for, where things were being done differently. I think it's really uh, useful in the world we're just about to enter. So my background, as I say, is a nurse. I've worked at Strategic Health Authority as that was formed. I was lucky enough to be part of the NHS direct team before that went live. So again, it's all around my career's really followed the innovation in the NHS. And I feel really committed and proud to work for the NHS and providing NHS services. So my whole career has been very uh, focused on NHS services, be that as part of the NHS family or in organisations like I am now at IC24, providing NHS services as a social enterprise. So that's kind of my background. It's kind of done a lot of different performance management services. But very recently, it's been very focused on business development. How do we get services that fit for the future so that's kind of where my background's come from. So while I did start as off as a nurse, I've kind of been able to explore different avenues as we've kind of gone through the years. So you work for IC24. What is, you mentioned it was a social enterprise. What does IC24 actually do? Yeah, in, well, IC24 is Integrated Care 24. So we do a range of services that go from 111 services. We provide um, out-of-hours services, all kinds of, a range of uh, provision across the integrated urgent care pathway. Uh, we, also include, we also provide services in health and justice, where we provide primary care services uh, to that prison population on the Isle of Sheppey. And we do a range of primary care services in urgent care, so home visiting, face-to-face care, telephone triage, clinical assessment service. So we do a range, a full range of integrated urgent care type provision. And how long has IC24 been established for? Well, IC24 has sort of been a joining of the old GP co-op. So it's been around for a significant number of years. And since around about 1990, it started to form together from that GP co-op days into a bigger organisation. And it's kind of evolved to where we are today. Okay. And you mentioned that, so you started life after teenage and young adulthood as a nurse how and what do you do today I know I don't want to get too hung up on titles but I think it's interesting that you started off as a nurse what do you actually do today what are your priorities today Yes, well, currently I'm uh, fulfilling the role of Chief Operating Officer for IC24. So I am responsible for the day-to-day operational running of all our, of the range of our services across our geographical footprint that goes from Norfolk down through Essex, across Kent and Sussex. And But actually, I'm actually just in the process of transforming into a new role of Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer. And I think that's really reflective of organisations working in the NHS at the moment, as more focus is being put on external relationships. So where my coup role is very internally focused on the operation, I'm now transferring into that Chief strategy and transformation role where it's really externally facing how can we work in collaboration with other providers how can we be part of a system response to healthcare needs so I think we're we're seeing this uh, role that I think certainly seen across the NHS but I think with NHS providers we're seeing the strategic and transformation focus to really help shape 
organisations delivering new ways. So that's where my role is transferring to. It's quite an exciting time, I think, even though there's lots of change and uncertainty across the whole systems. I think it's a really exciting time to actually come together and work in new ways. I think COVID's allowed us to think about innovation and working together, breaking down those barriers, probably in a very different way than we've ever seen before. And personally, what made you think, I've got this role, I'm the Chief Operating Officer and I've done a good job and this other role has come up. What was it that made you think I'm ready for a new challenge? And have you got any doubts? You mentioned there is change, there is uncertainty. What personal bits of uncertainty are you facing as you transition into this new role? I think certainly the reason that I've been attracted to this new role, I'll start there first, is really about how we've got this opportunity with the changes in the system to do things differently. And I think as leaders of healthcare, we have a responsibility to come together to prevent us doing things in the same way. So it's quite so for me, it's always been a interest around that business development, service development and transformation piece. So that's kind of why I'm moving across to that that more externally focused role. I think the challenge is, is we are going through a significant change of, of structure within the NHS at a period of significantly high transaction. So we are still seeing very busy, as we always do in the providing NHS services, we're kind of trying to understand what the new COVID norm looks like, how are we actually going to address that, the challenges we're having with the different, you know, we all know health inequalities agendas, we all know the challenges we're all facing, but actually coming out of COVID and the new ways we're working, we there's new challenges with that. We've got innovation and we're using technology we're going to have technology health inequality so there's lots of things I think as as we go into the as I go into this new role will be some of those challenges I need to be very aware of while working in a very new system as that develops and so I think you know the thing that I'm very mindful of is how do we position decision-making and influencing as a provider of healthcare services and healthcare leaders and where does that influencing happen. So that's probably my greatest sort of challenge is trying to navigate our way through the new changes, ensuring we don't miss opportunities along the way. In your role today, you will have organisations wanting to partner with you and they'll be thinking, how do I get in front of Catherine? How do I position myself? How do I demonstrate value for money? How do I become an attractive partner? So you know what it's like for lots of people vying for your attention and essentially saying, look at me, work with me, I'm the best. So you know what it feels like. So you're going to be on the other side of the table trying to influence up and say, guys, look at, we've got this track record. Given your experience, What advice can you give to organisations and leaders trying to position themselves and influence how care is going to be delivered when we know it's so complicated? If it was simple, we just wouldn't be here. It's really, really complicated. What advice would you give? I think you're absolutely right. It is complicated and actually it's quite complex in terms of how do people work together while breaking down competitive barriers as well and and the competition that 
has been in the NHS has been around providers. And so for me, trying to influence those decision makers about what needs to happen is not necessarily going to be, look at us, we're, as an organisation, we can do this for you. It's more as, as an organisation and as a provider, we can, we can um, provide this part of a solution that gives you these outcomes. We need to change the language. We need to change the narrative. So for me, it's really ensuring that as healthcare leaders, we, talk, we change that narrative to be about outcomes, health improvement, responding to health inequalities. And I think also we've got this new opportunity in the new world is we cannot just look at solutions as healthcare leaders. We need to look at it across the wider spectrum. So it's also ensuring that we can demonstrate not only what outcomes we can provide and how that then influences the whole pathway for patients and the whole system. Okay, we will also integrate. How do we work as a system integrator to bring in all those other sectors? So third sector, social care. So I think that's where the narrative changes. And I think that's where we've all got to get to positioning ourselves to say there is all this activity there. There's all these patients. How do we ensure that we don't just continue treating and developing services around either disease management or a collection of illness actually it's greater than that and I think that's where it's exciting exciting time where we can actually as providers start influencing across a much broader spectrum I think the days of organizations coming in saying they can provide the whole piece um, is, is certainly reduced and it's now about working together and demonstrating upwards that you can break down those barriers. We can work seamless, seamlessly. And of course, that's really easy to say. As we all know, delivering services in this way, the greatest challenge we have is cultural change across organisations to work as one. Um, so it's, as I say, it's quite exciting, but it is a very different way of working. And I think that we do need to all get better at the narrative of what we're trying to achieve. You slightly hesitated when you said the days of organisations saying that they can deliver, you know, like the whole spectrum of services has reduced. You didn't say has gone. People listening to this podcast is one tip potentially, one piece of advice is that maybe be wary of those organisations that say we're a one-stop shop because no, none of us can do it by, them, by ourselves. Yeah, and I think we shouldn't be looking to if I, you know, that's my own personal view. We shouldn't be looking to deliver things solely because you get that learning and you get the quality drive it. You get the quality improvement by working together. And as I, as I kind of said before, we're dealing with people and people aren't islands and they're certainly not a collection of either their illness or their disease. And therefore you can't, you can't, you can't build services that just look at that element. And that's why you need social care, housing, education. It's more holistic. I think we're entering a very different holistic approach. Can you point to any examples where you feel like IC24 are operating at a system level? And within our integrated urgent care services, so from a 111 and clinical assessment service, it's becoming much more system you know, embedded in that system and how we work with different partners. So we're fortunate that we do work with our colleagues within South East Coast Ambulance Service and we're also working in different areas. So in East 
of the country in the East region. We're working with mental health providers. We're working with uh, community dental services. It's really about providing that system approach that isn't just looking at one element of the pathway. Everything we do has an impact on some, somewhere else. And that's really important to understand from an outcome perspective. I mean, I think we certainly as an organisation and our executive and board are really focused on while we know we've got those targets to get to, don't, don't miss the point. Don't hit the target and miss the point. And I think that's where you get that system working. The whole system needs to be working rather than just one element of it. We, in integrated education, really lends itself well to work in that system approach. And I think certainly from the learning from COVID and the opportunity we have is we've come together better as a system um, and we were able to do things at pace and some of those barriers and organisational walls aren't there now. And we, it's our job now to ensure they stay uh, down and we continue that journey. You know, I think all of us will acknowledge it's challenging, but certainly from a social enterprise perspective, we work with other social enterprise healthcare leaders as well. And it's around how do we make sure that we come together to offer systems the right solutions that support some of the work that needs to be done. So whilst everybody listening will say yes, like they'll be nodding saying yes, it's challenging. But for people listening that may not be so close to the system, can we talk about the system? It's like like the matrix (laughs) Um, that may not be as close. What is the challenge? Why is it so hard? What is the complexity? I think the complexity is we are all, as I said previously, we're all working exceptional transaction at the moment. There's so much demand in the system and we can get very focused on different parts of it. So we know the challenges that we see with demand in our acute services. We know patients wait. We know we've got health inequality challenges to address. So it's really about trying to ensure that the whole pathway from education, social care, housing, um, primary care, secondary care, community services, we're quite fragmented in how we currently commission services rather than the, the whole, if you think of the whole patient experience, you know, the reason the NHS is here, it's from birth to grave, Um, And all those aspects that that person goes through, at the moment, we deliver different bits in different pockets. And so for me, the challenges in the system is how do we look at that as a whole and understand the unintended consequences of of different parts of that system and the failure demand that churns around it. So, you know, it is really complex, but I think where previously we've had health and social care, Uh, Now, I think we've got this opportunity to blend that further. So the recent ICS framework has come out. What did you think of that document? Is it helpful? What did you take from it? I think certainly as a provider of services on behalf of the NHS, I thought it was certainly a useful document to sort of understand the the strategy of of what we're looking at. And you've got the ICS-NHS body that will need to be formed and of course that will then take over some of those responsibilities that we see through current commissioning structures so that's really important but the exciting bit for that framework for me was looking at the ICS partnerships 
um, and how uh, all providers for different services can come together at that point to influence uh, the ICS board and make sure that you know, when you read some of these documents, it's when you read them on the surface level, you could think they're very acute centric. But actually, what by having the partnerships as well, you can then start influencing the whole piece as well. So I think it's a very useful framework to kind of understand as, as providers and organisations where you fit um, and how how that will come together. Um, of course, any change always always leads to anxiety about what might happen, how that's going to play out in different places. But I think from a provider perspective, and certainly an organisation like IC24, we need to really start demonstrating how we can syst- provide system integration, all those elements that will ensure the systems actually achieve something different. That's what I think we've got this opportunity not to recreate what's yeah. happened in, in the past. And I think from the framework, it's it's really useful to have those clear priority areas, certainly around um, health inequality, efficiency, value, all those important things that I think Aren't, certainly aren't new we just changed the language slightly so from a social enterprise perspective that they've always been the principles um with anchor institutions we're all now starting to talk the same language we may just label them differently but you're seeing the same themes and narrative come okay. through so i think that's been really helpful from the framework document who are you work who are your kind of like your right hand and your left hand colleagues that are going to be supporting you this i know obviously ic24 is a big organisation but who are you going to be working really closely with to develop these relationships and you know change and transform some of your services do you mean internally or within the external i suppose well both do you know well let's start internally Internally, I think the really important thing is ensure that all these changes are embedded within the quality strategy. So from an internal perspective, our chief nurse and our chief medical officer and understanding how we actually develop the strategy around quality improvement, how we use information around it's making sure we deal with the people we should be serving, not the people we perceive we should be serving. So really understanding the system, really understanding and getting under the health inequalities and the challenges that the populations we, we serve are dealing with. And COVID's changed that slightly. Uh, we, I think we're going to see a lot more loneliness, not just in the old population, but across the whole population. Well-being, how are we actually tackling that? So certainly from a one-on-one perspective, that's really important to understand what, OK, what are people actually, what are their challenges that they're contacting us about? So, yeah, so I think it's really important that we really dive into the communities that we work for to understand their needs. So it's a really interesting point and people will be listening to it say, I know my population, I know my patients. Um, you know, the population and patients that come to us and, um, you know, we're very careful not to say hard to reach groups. Actually, are they hard to reach or are they easy to ignore? And for us, that's really important. Um, so, of course, I, I'm confident we know the needs of the patients that contact us. Um, there is a raft of people that need help, maybe still don't know how to how to access right help. Uh, people have been scared to access help through COVID. All, all, the, all the different dynamics that we're now having to face, we're moving to a very technical, technology-driven services, but I'm, I think it's really important that we do that. 
But as I said before, does that then lead to people not accessing? Will we have a inequality with technology? So, yeah, I just think it, there's so many different things that I think we have to be more sighted on than perhaps previously. Why is a language hard to reach, no longer appropriate? I don't think it's not appropriate, but I think when you think about hard to reach groups, you also need to consider, are they hard to reach or are they difficult to reach? And all those, it's just different terminology. And I just think we need to think about, are they hard to reach? Do they not, are we not providing services that they feel they should access? It's just making sure you cover every perception and understanding of who you're actually communicating with and who you want to, who you need to access your services. A whole detailed podcast in its own probably, Tara. (laughs) But I think it's really important if you think about what the framework says and the uh, change in focus to different populations and population health. And I know our colleagues in public health have been doing this for years um, and it's just making sure that that's fully embedded. So in the framework, um, I don't have it to hand, unfortunately, but it talks about the need for, you know, like protected time to be able to build these system relationships. But at the beginning, one of the challenges is everybody is so, so busy doing, you know, like ticking the boxes and those boxes need to be ticked and supporting their teams. We're still in a pandemic, just like, you know, like we think life is busy and it just keeps somehow we just keep, it just keeps getting busier and busier. How are you creating the headspace? Because when these documents come out, if you're anything like me, so I, I print them out, I've got my highlighter, I read it. And some bits I'm like, I read it again, <laughs> I read it again. And then I think, oh, I'm going to go and do something else now. And you know, like it takes, um, for me, because I really want to try and understand it, then I might go to my clinical directors and say, people like yourself, like, what do you, what did you get from it? Because, you know, like we all gravitate to certain sections. How are you creating the time to really understand your population health needs? You're in one job, but your head's started to be in the, in the new, in the new job. And, you know, how are you creating the time to deliver your work and deliver your job and be there for your colleagues to what you consider the high, you know, like your highest standard? The headspace thing, as you, as you absolutely rightly say, is really challenging. I think we have spent so many months now being in firefighting mode. That's really exhausting. Um, as as uh, everybody that's listening will, will absolutely understand. But, at, but you kind of just have to ensure that when you when you do have your your new normal structure of meetings with other providers, you t- this st- this stuff starts being talked about. And certainly from a social enterprise perspective, we've got a group in the east where healthcare leaders from social enterprise come together and translate these kind of things together. Okay. So it's really pulling on your partners that are out there who have the same sort of values and culture as you. So you're interpreting it in the same way, just slightly different. And that's been, I think that's a really vital way of sort of understanding these things and getting other people's perceptions and perspectives on it. Really important because if my my acute trust colleagues will read that document probably quite differently to myself. And so it's making sure that we don't jump to conclusions about the documents. So as an organisation, internally, we spend a lot of time talking as an executive about them because, of course, we all come with a different view that's really useful. But 
we're encouraged to go and speak to our counterparts across the system uh, to see how they're translating it too. So I think it just need, it, you just have to build that into the normal conversations that you have. But to be honest, what I'm finding is most people are quite open and all of us do want to talk about other things than COVID. <laughs> so I think it, it gives us all a really good thing to talk about and explore in a bit more detail. So I think it's um, it's something that you just have to build in. Yeah, I think that's nice. And it kind of, it takes the pressure off from being, you know, like the font of all knowledge, you know, like I think people think they're supposed to read it, digest it and act on it, whereas actually read it, reflect on it, talk about it. Yeah. And I think what's really important is when we get these documents is translating it to every level of your own organisation and sharing that to say, you know, this is the language you might start hearing in the news around healthcare. This is what you might hear other organisations talk about. This is how we're translating it in IC24. This is what it means for IC24. And therefore, this is how that translates for you doing your job. Because that's really important. Yeah. How quickly do you start to do that? Because things change and people may, you know, like people talk and sometimes you get like Chinese whispers and it's like... No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> you do, and that's absolutely key. And I think that's why the communication has to happen. So we would do we do um, a weekly newsletter for all our staff that has a bulletin around some of those key issues. So some of them will be very internal about changes that we've seen recently with different uh, legislation. Uh, what's happening with COVID, all those kind of things. And then this is what's happening in the system. You know, this is what else is going on. So we have that forum. And then as then we can start just strip feeding that narrative, what this might mean for us. Because actually, if you don't feel that void of information, people get quite anxious about the change and what that means for different organisations. And we, our people and within our own organisations are still working really hard and still going through working in COVID and the challenges not only they have with the work they're doing, but, you know, the challenges they have at home because of the situations we find ourselves in. So it's really important to make sure that the cha- any change within the NHS isn't seen to be something that people need to start being anxious about. So you have to give them the right information. So for us, that's really key. Can you point to any examples where through best intentions you've got the communication wrong because I think what's so a few it's a while ago now when we air this a letter came out uh, from NHS England to general practices and it just it went down like a lead balloon and I really had empathy and sympathy for the names at the bottom of that letter and I just thought I yeah I really wanted to really want to reach out to them and just be like I just, that could happen to any of us because sometimes the tone, what you think you're saying to how that is perceived can be off. And when that happens, people act in a way, you know, like it brings out the worst in, you know, like, you know, like if you're hurt, your feelings are hurt, you act in a way that's not like your normal self. Imagine that magnified on Twitter, (laughs) Like absolutely, and I think what you find is the more you work with other organizations as well, that becomes even more important because when you're working across organizational boundaries and you're working partnership and you're developing those collaborations, that trust, communication, 
the cultural piece, how do we behave here? All of that does play out. And it doesn't, it takes um, some communication or some information landing really badly. And all of a sudden that's turned into something into completely not what the intention was. And therefore you, and I think this is something we have to really acknowledge as we come into this new world. We're working with multiple providers and our work, we're asking our workforce to work seamlessly together. And that's going to be hard if you don't get these kind of things right. So no, it, you have to be really careful about how you make sure something lands with your people in an organisation. And to do that, you have to ensure that your culture, your behaviours are all aligned and the vision so that at all times it can sort of be translated back to, OK, I, that does match what they're saying about our organisational strategy. They're not trying to stop providing that service. So all those kinds of things uh, are really important. Yeah, and I think when um, certainly when we've delivered contracts and we've explained that they're going to be delivered, or the operating model will be delivered in one way, and actually by the time it went live, it, it looked quite different, and actually that then caused shockwaves between two organisations and probably more because it was slightly different to what was expected, and that's really important. You kind of go, okay, this is what we have, this is what we need to do to um, enable us to deliver the service and the outcomes, but the impact for organisations is different to what we were expecting. Um, And that's a really challenging situation because people automatically think there's something else behind those decisions. Mm -hmm. And they instantly think that there's a, a, you know, other decisions going on. And I think what we, we need to be really careful that we balance sharing the right information uh, rather than allowing people to worry about things that may not be in their in their um, area of control, so that's that that can be really challenging. Because if you what you think is sharing the right information will lead to you not withholding some information, which will lead to distrust. But actually, they don't need to necessarily know that it's a. We all want the transparency. Yeah, you know, like, but we may want it but we don't always, I suppose it's to not be transparent, to be, it's be, it's perceived as being deceptive and not giving the whole truth, but it's, does everybody need to know everything? It all, it all depends on what type, what, what role you're doing. You need to ensure people have got the information to do the job that they need to do and feel secure in doing that job you need, they yeah. need to do. And that's really important. And I think as certainly as IT24, we we spent a lot of time in trying to get the communication, the internal communication. You know, when you then send that externally, it, it starts a whole different cascade. Uh, but internally, it's really important that we understand which groups we're communicating with, what type of information. We test that out with them. We have um, values and practice group of uh, staff who can test some of that out for us. But you're absolutely right. It's ensuring that we we inform everybody about how our organisation fits in the system and the difference individually you make by doing your job. That's what's really key. People need to understand that if I do this job well, it means X. If I don't, this is what will happen. And I think because we deal with with people in the public and patients, that's really important to understand the impact, no matter what role you've got. 
um, in IC24, ex, you know, you have an impact on a patient at some point in their journey. Have in your throughout your career, have you received and taken specific communications training? We 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 we're offered um, comms training, um, so you know, dealing with media, etc. Because of COVID, I think people have underestimated that, um, you know, like that skill. And I think moving forwards, when that training comes up, everybody should, you know, like people think, oh, do I need, do I need it? But actually, I think when it, we are communicating across boundaries, across multiple organisations, it is really key, really, really key. And so important because if you get it wrong, you can, but obviously you bounce back. But I think personally, it tests your resilience. Yeah. And I think certainly with, you know, social media and all the different areas, we, we need to make sure that we also communicate in a way that supports decision making and supports the system and doesn't have that kind of retaliation combative way of, of dealing with negativity or when things go wrong and I think that's really important for individuals as well as organizations you know we're not going to get it right all the time no. people don't and we need, we need to make sure that we we are able to recognize also when things aren't going right and proactively recognize it and almost uh, our chief nurse has a nice saying is put the mirror up to ourselves yeah. It might look scary, but it's okay. <laughs> um, and that, that's really important. I think that's a really good um, test she always kind of thinks, well, put the mirror up. Are you still happy? And that's really important. I like that. So, so one thing at the very beginning where you kind of t- talked about your services that you su- work in prisons, I see 24 um, supports kind of prison care and prison health. Could you share what has been the impact of covid on your service to working in the prison? Um, it's been a really challenging time in health and justice. And what's been the most, probably the most challenging is having access and accessibility for the men who are residents there. So that's been really challenging because, you know, we need to make sure that we, we protect the population there, protect the staff, both if they're healthcare or work for the uh, prison service. So we've worked really closely. Uh, we're very fortunate with the relationships we have with the governors, but that's been a real challenge. And also, of course, not just in the prison, but for, across everywhere, healthcare staff weren't immune to COVID. So, you know, we had the same kind of sickness rates that we, we were seeing in the general population. So that was really challenging. But whether it's it, it certainly wasn't unique to the prison environment. I think access to services was a challenge everywhere, but heightened because of that environment. What's the biggest lesson you have learned about yourself uh, during this pandemic? I suppose the biggest lesson is uh, the resilience. <laughs> I don't think any of us realise quite how resilient we all are. And the other thing is it, it was OK to say we're not OK. And that's been really, really important. I think it was important as a healthcare leader to allow people to express that. If that, you know, it was it's a whole different thing. I think we were very careful around the terminology about people being heroes, because heroes don't break. And it was okay to say you couldn't cope. 
So it was it was all those kind of things, I think, was probably the biggest lesson for me. And the other thing I kind of learned is how willing people are who work in, in the NHS or providing NHS services to go the extra mile to the point where you almost had to ask them, please take a rest. <laughs> so that, that was, um, I mean, I think from my nursing background and working in, for the NHS or, you know, for the NHS for all my career, you always knew people were going to go over and above. But that was some of my learning. My goodness, <laughs> they certainly did. <laughs> I think is uh, important but the other uh, certainly the other sort of reflection is we couldn't do any of this on our own and that's probably the one of the the learning I'll take from this and so something that I don't want to let go of is you can achieve so much more by being open transparent and working in collaboration with other providers. Yeah I think lots of people have found like oh okay this is, yeah, it's not, I think the, it's, the, sometimes I think it's a bu- the bureaucracy that surrounds in the past and prevents and creates that competition. But now hopefully it's gone a little bit. It makes it easier, but those relationships are formed now because everyone's been on the phone in, per- well, kind of in person or in the WhatsApp group. So it's easier to just pick up the phone and say, oh, hey, Tracy. And I think there's a there's a place for competition, but I really do think competition now should be about raising quality, not competition around finances, other things. Of course, that's all really important. We all know we want a sustainable NHS that's not only fit for the future, but remains relevant. And it's really important. But actually, that competition between providers should really about be, be really be driven by the quality aspect. You know, I think people are quite proud to say they work for the NHS or work on behalf of the NHS and to say, and we do it really well when we're benchmarked. That's, the, you know, that's the drive that people want. And can I ask you, I know you, you've talked about it lots, but could you summarise what does good integrated care look like to you? Good integrated care to me looks from a, can I describe from a patient perspective and then from a system perspective? From a patient perspective, good integrated care is no matter at what point in this, what point you come into to healthcare or any sort of care, it doesn't actually matter your point about where you came in. It's actually clear for you, it's seamless. Uh, You're, you know, people know what they're doing with you. You get handed across without even knowing that seamless integrated care uh, that's really focused on that individual and their needs. Now, from a provider perspective, what does it mean for me as an organisation in IC24 is good integrated care is going to be having system integration that allows us to work together in a non-fragmented manner. So, Again, a patient may come into IC24, we will do our piece and we can hand them off and it's seamless. So it's that integration, it's the technical bit really that sits above it. So for me, that's kind of, that would be really good integrated care. Thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you 
so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. It's really, really funny. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the news newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.